This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, welcome everyone. Bruchim Abayim. We want to also welcome all of our Torah Anytime viewers. Okay, Baruch Hashem, we've made it tonight because uh, we have something that I'm very excited to share with you. Something, a concept which is really astounding. We begin at the beginning of the parasha. Last week, if you remember, Yitzchak and Rivka give Yaakov a mission. Time to get married. Yeah, you're ready, 63 years old. It's time. So, we would think, just the casual reading of the Pesukim, it would seem that uh, Yitzchak and Rivka tell Yaakov, go get married. And in this week's parasha, Yaakov goes to get married. And yet we find Chazal tell us something incredible. It says Yaakov Avinu, he's on his way, and he comes to the Temple Mount. And the Torah tells us, He slept in that place. Now Rashi picks up on the fact, what do you mean he slept in that place? Wherever you sleep, it's that place. You can't sleep in a different place than you're sleeping. Wherever you're sleeping, whether it's in your bed, or it's at a shear, wherever it is, you're sleeping in that place, right? So Rashi says, why does it have to say he's sleeping in that place? And Rashi brings down the Medrash. It teaches you, in that place he slept, but in a different place he didn't sleep. Where is that? When he was learning in the yeshiva. When did he learn in the yeshiva? Chazal tell us, Yaakov spent 14 years in the yeshiva of Shem Ever learning Torah, after his parents told him to get married, before he went to Haran, he spent 14 years learning in the yeshiva. Says Rashi, those 14 years, he did not lie down to go to sleep. For 14 years. And finally, after 14 years of sheer exhaustion, Yaakov Avinu, Yaakov goes to sleep. Okay, and there's a whole question, what did he have to sleep that night for? Fine. Now, by the way, how do we know he's, he learned 14 years in the yeshiva? Maybe it was one year, maybe it was two years, maybe it was 50 years. So Rashi, at the end of Parshas Chayisara, makes a calculation. Based on Yishmael's life, Yishmael died at the age of 137, I believe. We can't get 137 years unless there are 14 years of Yaakov's life that is unaccounted for. We have no idea how to account for these 14 years. From here, Chazal derived that Yaakov Avinu must have learned 14 years in the Yeshiva Shemayin. So, so far we have two sources that Yaakov spent 14 years learning in Yeshiva. The Pasuk, He slept in that place, which implies in a different place he didn't sleep. And in order to calculate the lifetime of Yishmael, we're missing 14 years. Rashi at the end of Parshas told us, last week's Parsha, tells us an added piece of information. Listen to what Rashi tells us. Ra- Yaakov was not just learning in the yeshiva. You know what Yaakov was doing in the yeshiva? He was hiding in the yeshiva. Who is he hiding from? Esau. Look at Rashi. Look at the words of Rashi. When you have Rishonim like Rashi, every word is a diamond. Every word is precious. Look what Rashi says. In number three, We're missing 14 years. This teaches us, After Yaakov received the brachos from Yitzchak, Nidman! What's made Nidman? He was hiding. Nidman, he hid. In the house of Ever. Now it's called Yeshiva Shem Ever, but Shem had already passed away at this time, so now it was Ever, Yudalet Shem. But what, so, what is the definition of Shnei Chayi It's like Shnei Chayi Sarah. Correct. Well, what's 
Shnei Chayei Yishmael. Okay, good point. Good Ha'ara. We'll have to discuss that sometime, okay? <laughs> we'll, we'll see, we'll see. Maybe. Not tonight. <laughs> so what are we seeing right now? We're seeing that Yaakov Avinu spent 14 years learning, in, learning Torah. I have a very interesting question. And the question is, does the Torah say explicitly anywhere that Yaakov spent 14 years learning? No. We could derive. It says he slept in that place. That implies he slept in this place. He didn't sleep somewhere else. Or we could figure it out by the fact that there are 14 years missing in calculating Ishmael's life. Yaakov Avinu must have been learning for 14 years. But the Torah never says outright, Yaakov spent 14 years learning Torah. Why are we tippy-toeing around these 14 years? You would think these are 14 seminal years of his life. These are the years he prepared for his, uh, his chasana. These are the years he prepared elevating himself. Unheralded hasmada. No one ever learned like Yaakov did in those 14 years. Right? Rashi even says he didn't sleep 14 years. What did he learn? And yet, why would the Torah, why would the Torah jump over and tippy-toe over these 14 years? Just say straight out. Why is the Torah hiding it? It's almost like the Torah doesn't want us to know about it. It's like, the casual reader would never even, it would never even dawn on the casual reader that Yaakov Avinu spent 14 years learning. How do we know? Because it says he slept here, but not somewhere else. Where is that other place? It must be there's another place that he didn't sleep in the Zeshiva. Just say, this was very important. It should say, Vayetze Yaakov mi Shava. Vayelech li Yeshiva Yedalet Shanim. And he learned there 14 years uninterrupted. And then he went to get married. Why are we hiding this? And even stronger, and that is, Yaakov was hiding in the yeshiva. That is the worst hiding place I could possibly think of. Imagine, he hid under the imagine for a minute you're Esav, right? Esav's thinking, where's Yaakov? Oy, where are we? Oh, let me check uh, Yankee Stadium. Let me check uh, the aqueduct racetrack. Let me check uh, the slot machines. Oh, where's Yaakov? Oh, he's not, he's, not, uh, he's not on the street corners? Where could he be? Oh, top secret. Yeah, you know where Yaakov is? He's in the, he's in the base medrash. That's where he's been for the last 63 years. But he didn't know that. He was Yoshev Ohalem. The Torah says, well, what did Yaakov do all day? It was a secret what he did? He's learning. He's in the yeshiva. So if you're an Esav, I would, if you make a list, right? Where could Yaakov be? If I would be making a list, where could Yaakov be? Number one is yeshiva. But because he's a son, Number two. He's anti-dad. You know, he's anti that. So he, how come he's going to he have a rejection automatically to what he wants to believe? Uh, Ace, so, is not a, Ace is not a dumb guy, you know. He's not, but apparently, you yeah. know. No, no. So what we're going to learn is something really mind-boggling, okay? He hid under the stender. Is your mind ready to be boggled? He's hiding under the stender. That's right. Or in the stender. Maybe. Okay. Okay. Now we see something very interesting. There's an interesting phenomenon about this parsha that I believe does not apply to any other parsha in the Torah. This parsha has a unique characteristic that no other parsha has. And that is, if you look at a Sefer Torah, every so often there are spaces. You have four, you have four letters of space, or you have an entire line of space. You have pays, you have samachs. Parshas Vayetze, I believe, is the only parsha in the Torah that is closed up from beginning to end. There are no interruptions in the Sefer Torah. Yeah, Parshas Vayechi 
is one of the only parshios that there's no separation between the end of Ayigash and the beginning of Ayichi. Parshas Balak, we once discussed, has no separations until the very end of the parsha, I believe. Parshas Vayetze is the only parsha, according to some opinions, and I believe in our Sefer Torah, that there are no openings. It's closed up. Why? And by the way, we once discussed the reason, and this year we're going to give a brand new reason. Look at number five. It says Toysvis, Vayetze Yaakov, Lefikach Parsha Zu Sisuma. The reason why this parsha is closed up, Mepnei Sheyatsa Betzina, because Yaakov left in stealth, secrecy, Mepnei Esav because of Esav. Or the Balaturim says, number six, Yesh Oimrim, some say She Parsha Zu Sisuma, this parsha is closed up, Vahatam, and the reason is, Lefi Sheyatsa Beseser, he left in concealment, and he fled secretly. And the question is, come on, what does one thing got to do with the other? Because Yaakov ran away secretly, therefore there are no openings in the parsha. What does one thing got to do with the other? You want to know, why are there no openings in the parsha? Oh, because when Yaakov ran away, it was secret. So, okay, that's very nice, it was secret, nobody knew about it. What does it have to do with the openings of the parsha? Why? Because he ran away, he fled in secret, are there no openings in the parsha? Also, we could add, we find the same thing in Parshas Vayechi. There is no space between the end of Parshas Vayigash and the beginning of Vayechi. And Rashi points out at the beginning of Vayechi, it's because when Yaakov Avinu died, the hearts and the eyes of Bnei Yisrael began to be covered and concealed and, and uh, clogged up because of the, the uh, impending bondage. Right. In other words, because the Shebud was about to start, because the bondage of Egypt was about to start, so Hashem closed up the parsha, as if there's some connection between the space in the parsha and how much relief Bnei Yisrael has. In other words, it sounds like when there's opening in the parsha, Klai <gasps> Yisrael ah, could breathe deeply. And when it's closed up, Things get really tight around the neck. What does one thing have to do with the other? What is, you know, the openings and the closing of the parsha got to do with life for the Jews? Okay, and we're going to explain that. We come to something which is really very hard to understand. If you look at the end of Parsha's Noach, right at the end of Parsha's Noach, right before Lech Lecha, right before Hashem tells Abraham, Abraham, it's time to go to Eretz Yisrael, the Pasuk says, the very last Pasuk in Noach, it says, Vayamas Terach Becharon, Terach died. Ah, the end of Noach says that Avram's father Terach died. The beginning of Lachacha says, Avraham left his family and he went to Eretz Yisrael. So Rashi is bothered by the following question, that the Torah is saying something that is not true. And why? Because Terach didn't die yet. Terach didn't die. Terach did not die for another 60 years. Because Terach was 75 years old when Abraham was born. Was 70 years old when Abraham was born. And Abraham was 75 when he left Haran, which means Terach was 145 years when Abraham left. And Terach had another 60 years to live. Terach was 205 years old when he died. And yet the Torah says, Terach died at the end of Noach. And the beginning of Lech Lecha, the Torah says Abraham left 
and he went to Eretz Yisrael. And Rashi wants to know, why is the Torah giving misleading information that Terach had already died when Abraham left to Israel? It's not true. Terach was alive. He was an, out, um, he was an old man. He was old and fragile and sick, and Abraham deserted him. Why would the Torah say he died? He didn't die. Says Rashi, PR. The Torah wants good public relations for Avram Avinu. Why? What are the people going to think when they hear that Avraham Avinu left an aging, sick, frail father? They're going to say, eh, he's a religious zealot. He just goes to the Holy Land and he leaves his dad behind. People are going to criticize Avraham Avinu. So you know what the Torah does? The Torah writes that Terach died. This way, no one will criticize Abraham. Abraham, you know, we don't, we don't want to throw him under the bus, like they say, right? So what do we do? We cover it up. The great cover-up. The Torah writes, Terach died. And then Rashi has, well, you know, Terach was a Rasha, and Rasham are considered dead anyway, so therefore it's not completely false, but, and therefore we'll cover up for Abraham Avinu. Yeah, he didn't respect, you know, when they thrown to the Kishan. The father mm-hmm. didn't stand for him when he wrote, like, you know, did what he did, so like, you did what you did to me, huh? I remember so, that, and he deserted them. Okay. I read it in, uh, when I was in Israel at the time. Okay, good. But primarily what Rashi is saying is that we're covering up for Avram Avinu. Rabbi Isai, you have any questions on this? I have such a good question. You can do the math. You I have such it. a good question for you. Okay, good. But then Abraham deserted him. They both left together till they got to a certain destination, and then Abraham deserted him. I have such a good question for you. Okay, you ready? You ready? Yeah. Your, your seatbelt's fastened? Here. Who's going to criticize Abraham Avinu? His contemporaries, right? Why? Because they see, they, they, they look, Abraham one day, he leaves the house, his backs are packed, he has, you know, that stick, with the, you know, with the cloth tied on the back, he's leaving the house with his wife on the donkey. And they say, hey, isn't that Tarach in the house lying in the bed there? Yeah, Abraham, what are you doing leaving your father? So could someone please tell me how we're covering up for Abraham? By writing in the Torah that Tarach died? Could somebody please tell me, did the people in Mesopotamia, right, in those days, where did they get their information from? They opened up the stone, the art scroll, Chumash. Yeah. Oh, Tarach died, oh! We think we see him in the house, but the Torah says he died, so it uh, must be he's dead? No, they buried him. There was no Torah yet. The Torah wasn't written for 500 years. So the people know, they see Terach in the house, they see he's old, they see he's fragile, and they're going to criticize Abraham. So what good is the Torah doing by writing that Terach died? First of all, no one's reading it until 500 years later when the Torah is given. Whoever's going to criticize Abraham has no access to this information that the Torah is writing that Terach died. Okay. No, you ever think of that question? It's a pliat summa, as they say. It doesn't make any sense what Rashi's saying. We're going to criticize Abraham. Avi wants to say that maybe later generations would criticize. Right, right. That's the point. Yeah, but why would we criticize? Hashem el Avram Hashem told him to go. What do you want from the poor guy? So it must be, who's going to criticize him? His contemporaries. His contemporaries don't never saw the stone Chumash. Or any Chumash. No. Not even the uh, Arya Kaplan Chumash, right? He's saying, he's saying that the heretics today, they're going to read the Torah, they're gonna, and they're going to say, look, but, but, not but, look at Avram, but look at Hashem. Uh, Hashem is telling Avram to leave. Yeah, it's even, is that Mashman Rashi? Is that what Rashi is no, saying? But that, that's, that's I hear. But, but it's deviated from the main subject. He's saying, saying that he died, okay. and he's not dying. 
No, no, I'm not. I'm not addressing the fact that it's false. I'm addressing. I want to know the following. If we're trying to cover up for Abraham, what's the cover up? The people who would criticize him never saw the Torah. The fact is that the son that he died, and then he, he didn't die. Okay, no, no. The Torah has a right to say whatever it wants because Rishonim are called dead. I want to know what is the cover up for Abraham. These individuals who would criticize him, how are they now not going to criticize him? Because 500 years later, when they're lying in the ground and the worms have consumed their flesh, it's going to say in the Torah that he that. Uh, Criticize God. That's, that's not what Rashi says. Rashi says they're going to criticize Abraham. Why, so why doesn't he say that? It makes more sense. Rabbi say, okay, good question, right? You hear the question? Okay, another question. Next week's parsha. Does the Torah? Yeah, I think the question is a good question. What I'm asking is, I'm sure if you're asking, it must be a good no, question. No, what he's asking. What? Stop. No, this question. What? That, that, yeah, they're not. They're not going to criticize him. They're going to criticize Hashem. I think Rashi seems to be saying that the critique would be on Avram. So the question Lavino. is on Rashi. Why in Rashi you say that the? No, Rashi saying critique is on Avram, and I want to know how is the Torah correcting the critique by writing information that these people will never see. No, no wait. You make huh? a good point. You're right. Sure. Go ahead. Okay. Another question. Next week's parsha, Yaakov Avinu is returning from Eretz Yisrael, and he comes to a place called Alon Bachos. And it says in the Torah, Vatamasham Devora Meinekes Rivka. That Rivka is wet maid. What do you, how do you call it in English? Nurse. Nurse, wet nurse, whatever. Midwife. Meinekes Rivka died. Okay? Fine. Says Rashi, someone else passed away also. Rivka. How do we see that? It says Bachus. Bachus means two cryings. Ask Rashi a very strong question. Why would the Torah not say openly that Rivka died, right? Gabi, it says anywhere Rivka died? It says nowhere in the Chumash, right? It says Rashi, you know why? Because what's going to happen? People are going to come to Rivka's funeral, and they're going to say, they're gonna, the guy's going to get up, oh, what a wonderful woman, her whole life she gave tzedakah, and she was so righteous, and she prayed. And the guy's going to yeah, but you see her kid Esau. <laughs> and they're going to curse the womb that produced Esau. And therefore, says Rashi, the Torah doesn't say that she died. Huh? It's the same thing. The to- oh, so you're telling me that nobody's going to know that Rivka died. Why? Because the Torah never said she died. As if the people living in Mesopotamia... Oh, you know where they got their news in the morning? They had a stone chumash by the, by the night table. Oh, what happened today? Oh, uh, Rivka died? Oh, you know, they're going to curse it. That's not what they got their information from. What? If the Torah would write that she died, then they'll know she died. And if the Torah doesn't write that she died, they won't know she died. They know she died because they're at her funeral. They're there. They see. What does the Torah written 500 years later have to do with whether people are going to know? This is such a strong question. And it should really bother. It bothers me that I read this Rashi so many times. I would never bother by this question. It's a plea on Sumer, Rashi. So there are many... Other instances where you can have the same kasha. Ah. If you look, if you know, I, I don't know, but okay. So we come about Yaakov when he was in Lavan House. Uh, he doesn't say that he was there 14 years. It says when only when Yosef uh, uh, no. born. Now at least over there it says he worked for 20 years. There the Torah says straight out he worked for 20 years. But these 14 years of learning in the yeshiva, the Torah doesn't say one word about. No, no, no. I'm talking about when you know he was supposed to work for Lavan 14 years, right? Mm-hmm. And it says he didn't say that he was working for him 14 years. It says that when Yosef born, they left. 
Okay, but it's you know uh, what I mean? it's pretty clear in the psukim that he made up he's going to work, and he worked. The, the, the years passed. Here, it's almost like the Torah is hiding the fact that Yaakov learned for 14 years. Okay? Right. And we're going to... You ready? We're ready? It's hidden. I mean, you don't know. Right. That what? Correct. Correct. At all. Okay. So you, you got for the, anyway. the answer is so profound and awesome that it will change your life. I'm telling you. Forever. Okay. The Ramban says something amazing. And the Ramban's going on the Gemara and Shabbos. The Gemara and Shabbos tells us, if you look in the Parshas Bahaloischa, Parshas Bahaloischa has a very uh, interesting phenomenon. You know what it has? There are two psukim, and it's surrounded by what? Upside down, backward nuns, right? Says the Gemara in Shabbos, according to one explanation, to tell you that it's out of place. These two psukim, right? When we take out the Sefer Torah, what do we say? And this show we have a special song, right? And then we put it away, we say, it's surrounded by nuns. Why? It's out of order. Why is it out of order? Says the Gemara, because there's a very unfortunate incident beforehand. A sin that B'nai Yisrael did. Uh, and then there's an unfortunate incident afterwards. Another sin. In one place it says we ran away from Harsinai. In another place it says that we complained about our food. Different sins that we did. There's a third Avera mentioned. And the Ramban says like this. We don't want there to be three sins back to back to back. Why? Because in Halacha, when you do something three times, it creates something called Chazaka. What's Chazaka? Chazaka means an ox scores one time, maybe the ox had a bad day. The ox scores two times, the ox had another bad day. Once the ox scores three times, this ox becomes a vicious ox. If you do something, repeat something three times, that becomes your nature. Says Ramban, if the Torah would write three sins back to back to back, that would mean Klal Yisrael has developed a chazaka, a status of sinning. And therefore, that would become who we are. And therefore, what did the Torah do? The Torah said, no, we can't have this. So we're going to interject two psukim, Vayib and Saiha Aron, right in middle. This way we have, we don't have three consecutive what sins. The sins? The slab, right? We have to, that's a separate topic. One of them is the Messiah, one is we ran away from Harsinai, and one, there's another sin also. Okay? So therefore, the Torah didn't want to write three consecutive sins, so what did the Torah do? Interrupted. I have a question for you. But it's still three. <laughs> Wait, it's still three. I understand. Either we sinned three times in a row, or we didn't sin three times still in a row. Three. If we sin three times in a row, then we've developed this, this vicious habit of sinning. And if we didn't, and if we did sin, Oh, because the Torah is going to write two little psukim in between and make a little cute little two backward upside down nuns and separate it. We still sinned. Who cares how the Torah writes it? If we sin three times in a row, that's our metzios. That's who we became. And if the Torah didn't sin three times in a row, then what do we need to interject it? So we're going to learn tonight one, a really powerful idea. And that is, there is a statement in the Zayar HaKadosh that says, God created the world, how? By looking in the Torah. He looked in the Torah, and He created the world. In other words, the Zayar says, it's quoted by the Nefesh HaChayim, like this. How did Hashem create the world? 
he opened up the Sefer Torah and he read, Bereshis bara lekimas Heaven was created, earth was created. He created the world by looking at the Pesukim in the Torah. In other words, how did he create heaven and earth? He opened up the Torah and he looked at the first Pasuk. How did he create light? He looked at the Pasuk, Vayomer lekim yihiar vayihar. Vayomer, so he said that. By looking at the Pasuk, Vayomer, that's how he created it. That's what it means, Istakel ba'oraisa, he looked at the Torah, Ubar Aman, he created the world. Says the Yalkut Shemaini. You want to know where? But the Torah wasn't given yet. We say in uh, the davening every morning, Davar Siva Leeleftar. The Torah was created after a thousand generations. So the Yalkut Shemaini says it's not true. It was given to Moshe Rabbeinu from Adam to Noach is ten, from Noach to Avram is ten, from Avram to Moshe is six. It was given in the twenty-sixth generation. Says the Yalkut Shemaini, it was already in Shemayim nine hundred and seventy-four generations before the world was created. The Torah is Davar Siva Leeleftar. It's something commanded after a thousand generations. Says the Yalkut already. A thousand generations before the Torah was given, it was in Shamayim, And Hashem was perfecting the Torah to perfection. Where every letter, every ice, every nakuda, every opening, every close had to be perfect. Why? The way I understand it is like this. Imagine if you're like, you know, you're a mad scientist. And you, you're able somehow to go inside of the atom. Imagine. If you would take one neutron yeah and slide it over ever so slightly the whole solar system would explode right so therefore Hashem had to make sure that the Torah was so perfect precise because if this base would be one extra space over the world would pew would explode in other words what we're learning is the Torah is the architectural plans of creation, right? You ever see blueprint, blueprint. the blueprint? Yes. Thank you. You ever see, you know, you want to see the, you want to know what's in a building. You don't have to go inside the building. You lay out the blueprint. You want to know, is there a living room? Look in the blueprint. Are there pipes? Look in the blueprint. If the architect's going to leave out something in the blueprint, it's not going to be in the building. So Hashem was exacting in exactly what to put in the Torah, how to write it, what to write, how many openings, how big the openings should be. One second. Let's develop this. By the way, which means like this. That means, if someone were chas v'shom to be able to alter even a little bit of the Torah, the world would self-destruct. It would be like altering a particle of the atom. As we find in the Gemara Megillah and Daf Gimel, that Hashem did not want the Targum of Kesuvim to be revealed to the world. And somebody by the name of Yonasan ben Uziel revealed it to the world. And what happened? Israel started to shake 400 amos by 400 amos. Why? Because God determined that the, the matter of the Torah should be, this needs to be hidden. Why? God knows. Because if this is not hidden, then something in the world would be different. And therefore, when this Tana started to reveal something that was supposed to be hidden, the world started to shake. Come on, let me develop. Can you just clarify the structure of... It was, you said it before, it was written a thousand, the Torah was written a thousand years before. A thousand generations. Generations, generations before my separation. Before the Torah was given. 974 generations before the world was created. The world. And, and you saw also that the, that the world was created based on looking at the Torah. Yeah. So the world was, is, that's why it's an imperfect world, because the world, 
because the world was created, and then afterwards Hashem perfected the Torah. No, 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 that was, no, no, no. Okay, Rabbi Isai, listen to this. I'll give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. In the Torah, what does it say? It says, let's say, uh, if somebody does the mitzvot, it will rain, right? Or he'll have money, or he'll be, he'll be healthy. But one thing the Torah does not say is that if you keep the Torah, you'll get olam haba. There's not one explicit mention of olam haba in the Torah. You know that? Even though olam haba is the fundamental principle of our religion, the Mesil Sisham teaches us that the most important principle is this world is just preparing for olam haba. Right? So why does the Torah not say it? You ready for this? It's beautiful. Because can you see Olam Haba? No. Hashem doesn't want you to see Olam Haba because we would have no free choice. It says in, in uh, the Tanakh, Ayin Lairasa Lekimzulasacha, no eye could see Olam Haba. It says of Aaron Cutler, therefore it cannot talk about Olam Haba in the Chumash. Because if it would say it in the Chumash, it would have to be visible to the eye. It would have to be outright in creation. Because whatever is in the Chumash is in the world. And whatever is hidden from the Chumash is hidden to the eye. In other words, the Torah is the blueprint of what we see with our eyes. Whatever is outright, we see in front of us. Whatever is hidden, we can't see. And therefore the, the Torah deliberately hid and did not state explicitly the concept of Olam Haba so that we can't see it. Okay. Why, do they, why does it talk about Hashem then? That's right. You can't see Hashem. Does it, does it talk about Hashem? Sure. It says what Hashem did, but it also says, Adam Bachai. Nobody could see me. In other words, I mean, at least Hashem, it talks about Olam Haba, it doesn't even mention. He said it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there are several people over the generations that have said that Hashem created the world prior to the Torah and that uh, he wasn't happy and he uh, destroyed it and he then used the Torah as the blueprint. So that would go forward with that, okay. and also dinosaurs. However, dinosaurs are beyond the scope of tonight's share. However, doesn't it also indicate that there are always interpretations of the Torah, 70 or 72 versions, 70. that we don't know the spaces, and that we don't know who they, the vowelization? Okay, but the revealed part of the Torah is the what brought about the revealed aspect of the world. The hidden aspects of the Torah brought about the hidden aspects of the world. Okay, we'll leave it at that. Okay, now you ready for the answers? Yaakov Avinu. Yaakov Avinu. He's hiding in the base medrash of Shem Be'eva, right? So he asked, what kind of hiding place is that? That, would, that should be the first place that Esav should check. That's the most obvious hiding place. You know what the answer is? The answer is, does the Torah say that Yaakov Avinu was learning for 14 years? The Torah hides it. The Torah tippy-toes around it. The Torah makes it like this is a secret. You know what that means? That by the Torah hiding it, and the Torah not saying it outright, it made it that just like it's removed from the Torah, it's removed from the world. 
it's not something that anyone could realize and perceive and see. In other words, it's not that Avram, that Yaakov was hiding, and therefore the Torah wrote it in a hidden way. Just the opposite. Because the Torah wrote in a hidden way that Yaakov was learning, and the Torah didn't say it outright, and the Torah was tippy-toeing around this concept, it made it that this concept was removed from the minds of men. It was hidden. No one could see it. No one could perceive it. It could be the most obvious hiding place in the world. It could be the first... You want to track Yaakov down, you could put it first on your list. No, nobody would put it first on the list because this was something removed from the minds of men. Because it was removed from the Torah, it's removed from the reality of the world. We had a question. Why does the Torah not write that Rivka, Rivka died? Oh, so that, so that what? Nobody should curse the womb that gave birth to Esau. So he asked the question, whether, whether, however the Torah wrote it, whether the Torah wrote it outright or not, Rivka died, and people either know about it or they don't know about it, but the way the Torah writes it has no bearing on what people perceive. The answer is no. How does Hashem create the world? How does Hashem create the progression of history? When, as that was happening, Hashem was reading the Pasuk that talks about Devorah dying and hints to the fact that Rivka died, meaning the Torah hides the fact that Rivka died, that means from the minds of men, this is hidden. Nobody could see it, nobody could perceive it, nobody could realize it. It's been removed from reality. Reality is not what you see. Reality is the way the Torah writes it. If the Torah doesn't write it out right, it doesn't exist in reality. Nobody knew that Rivka died. What do you mean? She's my next-door neighbor. I, I, yesterday I saw her, today I don't see her. Yeah, but it doesn't dawn on anyone. Why? The Torah removed it. The same way the Torah doesn't talk about Olam Haba, because if the Torah would talk about Olam Haba, we would see it, we would realize it, we would understand it. The Torah doesn't say that Rivka died so that nobody... What do you mean the Torah wasn't given yet? True, the Torah wasn't given yet. But Hashem had it. And that's how Hashem creates history, by being mistakel ba'oraisa, by looking at the Torah. And if the Torah hides it, it's hidden from the mind. So for those people at the time, uh, what, see, you erase it from the memory the... or something? I mean, what? You erase it from their memory at the time? I mean... It's like, it's not in reality. It's not in reality. So they skip... It's like, it's like, it's like, they could have been at the Leviya. They were there. They were sitting. But it was like, it was hidden from them. In other words, the perception, the, it wasn't, what? So it's like, it's like, I understand. You can't see it. You don't know it. It's not right. But there's something actually happened. The way I understand it is, the realization that Rivka is not alive to the point where my mind is going to say, you know who this woman was? She was the womb that cursed Esav. That doesn't register. I'm there. I'm sitting at the Vaya. I know she's dead, but on some level of reality, I don't perceive it. It's so, hidden. So you're saying Esav never so, perceived Yaakov. It's like Esav. Yeah. Cool. You know why Esav couldn't find Yaakov Avinu? Because the Torah hides it. So you know what? Esav's thinking, where's Yaakov? Where's Yaakov? Esav, what do you mean where's Yaakov? No, what do you think he is? He's in the base Medrash. He's learning. The Torah hid that. The Torah hid it. It's like it's removed from reality. That's, that's the meaning here that the Torah will protect you because when you learn Torah, you're like in another world. Uh, then, then that's freedom of choice. 
than freedom of choice. And Esau doesn't have freedom of choice. He cannot think about where Yaakov is. You don't... He you doesn't know, have the freedom of... The, of I have a, sometimes Hashem protects people. Not ever... You don't. You could have freedom to choose to kill. He, he tried to kill Yaakov. Hashem protected him. How? By removing it from the Torah. By the way, this is a very tricky concept because that means almost that if somebody sinned, then it says it in the Torah, the Torah crea- created the reality. Okay, that is... I don't have the answer to it. So, so it's basically you, you're referring it that's actually the same thing like when Yaakov was studying 14 years in it. Is the same thing. Uh, in other words, why can't Esau find Yaakov? That's the most obvious place. The Torah hiding it. The Torah not saying it explicitly. It made it that it was something removed from reality. No realization. There's no realization. There's right. no... There's a very deep concept. Yeah? yeah it is. What? Oh, what about Terach's death? So we had a question that uh, why does the Torah write that Terach died? Because we don't want people criticizing Avraham Avinu for leaving an uh, old age, uh, old father. So what does the Torah do? It writes it that Terach died. What do you mean it writes it that Terach died? But everybody's around, everyone sees Terach's alive, and everyone sees Avraham forsaking him. But the answer is, if the Torah writes it that Terach died, then somehow in the minds of the world, the perception is, Avraham did not leave a father who's alive. What do you mean? He's alive. Everyone knows. I just borrowed uh, Tarek's potatoes yesterday. And the day before, he lent me his, uh, his onion slicer. Doesn't matter. I don't know where I got that from. But anyway. That sounds good, though. Um, anyway, it's removed from reality. It doesn't dawn on people that Tarek's alive because the Torah wrote Tarek died. And however the Torah writes it, that is the reality of the world. Another example? Another example is like this. Klai Yisrael sinned a bunch of times. They complained. They ran away from Har Sinai. So has it been to the nuns by... Once I go back, we're getting to that, okay? It's true Klai Yisrael sinned three times. But that doesn't create the reality of who we are. We're not created by what we do. We're created by what the Torah says about us. And if the way the Torah writes it would be sin, 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 and then when Hashem's manipulating history, He's mistakel in these three consecutive sins, that would become who we are. So what does Hashem do? Hashem said, you sin three times in a row? Not good. Naughty, naughty. Don't do it again. No, no, but that no, doesn't no, make... No, no. Three strikes and you're out, right? Yeah. But, but that doesn't change reality. What changes reality is how does the Torah record it? And if the Torah records three in a row without separation, that is what creates the reality of the world. I'll give you another example of this. Okay? Next week's parsha. Next week's parsha it talks about the animals that uh, Yaakov Avinu sends to Esav. And it talks about for every male animal, he sent a certain amount of female animals. For every, uh, for every goat, he sent 10 female goats. For every ram, 10 female rams. And it talks about the camels. And by the camels, it talks about 30 camels and their children. So Rashi says, well, until now we're talking about the male and the female, the male and the female. And by the camels, it doesn't say anything about the male and the female. It talks about the mothers, Uvenehem, and their children. Why isn't it talking about the male camels? Says Rashi, it doesn't say it outright. It says Uvenehem, but the word Uvenehem could be read Bonaehem. They're builders. In other words, 
The word children could be read husband also. So it really talks about the male and the female. If you have a chumash, it's kedai to see it inside. If you have a turn to Pashas Vayishlach, take a look. It's actually on the sheet. Look on number 28. The Pasuk says, Gemalim menikos uvenehem. Says Rashi. Why doesn't it talk about the husbands? Because the word benehem, children, could be read husbands. 30 camels and their husbands. Asks Rashi, why would the Torah not talk about the husbands outright? Why is it saying their children, which could also be read as their husbands? Rashi says something very interesting. Camels are very modest when they have relations, when they have Tashma Shamita, and therefore the Torah wrote it in a very secretive way. It didn't talk about the female camels and the male camels. It talked about the female camels and their children. And as a remez, benehem, children could be read as the husbands. So we always read this Rashi, that, you know, what comes first? We read Rashi, because camels are very modest, therefore the Torah did not speak about the husbands outright, but rather just alluded to them. That's not the explanation in Rashi. You want to know why camels are modest? Why are ca- all other animals are not modest when they have relations? Why are camels modest? Because when the Torah talks about female camels and male camels, it takes out the word male camels and instead writes children and only is marames to the female camel and the male camels. And that change of the way the Torah writes camels created a new essence of what camels are. In other words, what we're learning is Every, Every nuance. nuance of creation is determined by how the Torah writes things. How many spaces there are. In other words, like this. Hashem sees a tzaddik Yaakov Avinu. And he knows Yaakov Avinu is going to learn 14 years in Yeshiva Shem Eva. And Esau is going to find him. So what does Hashem do? Hashem creates an atom bomb. He goes into the Torah. It's like genetic slicing. He goes into the Torah. He takes Vayetze. And he squeezes it together eliminating any openings, Yaakov, now you're hidden, nobody could find you. And if somebody were to open up that parsha, the world would be destroyed. Who knows, who knows what that would do to creation? Who knows if somebody, chas v'shalom, took one letter of the Torah and removed it, the world couldn't exist. Who knows, every, the building block of every phenomenon is determined by Every os, every letter, every space, every opening. Okay, so, so yeah. for them, it's not existent. I mean, us, right now, when we're learning about it, we're actually learning about the whole conception. But back then, they don't even was aware of it, that something was missing, that he was missing for 14 years. They were not aware. No, exactly. Nobody knew. So nobody can criticize anything. I mean, just, it's like you're uh, fast-wording something. Exactly. Like a movie that you fast-word. Exactly. You miss, you, you, exactly. Uh, skipping a couple of scenes that they're not important. Basically. Exactly. Exactly. The way the Torah is written changes the reality of the world. If we're here, that's because the Torah talks about us. Whatever happens to us, it's, it's in the Torah. So it's for us, basically. But I want to tell you one added thing, another chiddush, another novelty. You ready? Parshas Chukas, in the year 1241, there was a terrible tragedy we are 24 cartloads of uh, Shas, of uh, Talmud, was burnt in the streets of France. Okay, right? We talked about it in Tishwil. Shali, Sufa, Beish, Kinnis, Mem And because of that, many Jews till today have a custom to fast. Erev Shabbos, Parshas Chukas. 
in commemoration of this tragedy. What does it have to do with Arab Shabbos, Parshas Chukas? Because the Gedolim of the time, the Rishonim, they couldn't understand why something like this happened, so they made She'elas Chalom. They don't try it at home, but they sent word to heaven to try to find out why this was happening, and they got the following response. The Targum of the first three words of Parshas Chukas, those Chukas HaTorah, Da Gezeras Oraisa. This is the decree of the Torah. In other words, this is not just some accident, but God decreed this should happen. And therefore, every year, Erev Shabbos, Parshas Chukas, many Jews fast because of this tragedy. So the Magen Avram asks a very interesting question. And he asks, when do we ever fast a day of the week? When do we ever fast the day before a certain parsha? We always fast the day of the month. Asar, the 10th of Teves, the 9th of Av, the 17th of Tammuz. When do we ever fast the day of the week. We never do it in Judaism. We never do anything the day of the week. What says does it mean the day of the week? Meaning the fast day was established Erev Shabbos, Parshas Chukas. Not the 15th day of Tammuz, but the day before we lay in the words, Zos Chukas HaTorah. That, that's the day of the month. But this is the only time you fast. The fast is established by the day of the week, not the day of the month. Okay? Says the Magen Avram, you know why? Because they realized that the reason why this tragedy happened is because the Parsha caused it. What does that mean, the Parsha? Because since the words of the Parsha begin, Zos Chukas HaTorah, this is the, the unexplicable law of the Torah, and the Targum of it is, Da this is the decree of the Torah. So you know what they realized? That it's the fact that we lean Chukas at that time that's what allowed this decree of the Torah to occur. So you know what we're learning now? Even more. Not only is the reality of the world based on the way things are stated in the Torah, but every week, as we read a parsha, that creates the reality of that week. Because that Shabbos they lay in Chukas, and Chukas begins... This is a decree of the Torah. Therefore, an inexplicable decree happened the day before. In other words, as we're reading the Torah over the course of the year, it's not just the Each week's parsha is somehow governing what happens to us. It's an awesome concept. That's why... That's... So let's just review very briefly what we learned. We, we were bothered. Yaakov Avinu, he's hiding in this major hiding place. Yeshiva Shem Be'ever. It's the most obvious place in the world. So what we're learning is the fact that the Torah hides it, the fact that the Torah closes up the parasha, makes it, that's the reality. The reality is Yaakov's learning is hidden from man. It's hidden from the mind. The Torah writes, Terach died so that no one should criticize Abraham. What do you mean? But everybody knows Terach's alive. Everyone sees him. We just went to his house yesterday. No. If the Torah wrote, Abraham left a dead father, in people's mind, that's the reality. If the Torah doesn't write openly, Rivka died... Rivka's death is hidden from people's mind. Whatever it says in the Torah, how it says in the Torah, every nuance of the Torah creates the reality of life. Rabbi, say have a good night. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.